Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. Well, Tamson and Dan read the paper on Monday, October 9th, 2023. Mm-hmm. I'm with you so far. Okay. Yeah, we have a lot to cover, Tamson. A lot to cover. Should yeah. I jump right in? Yeah, it's fall. Okay, it's fall. It's chilly. It's cold as heck. And uh, the baseball stuff is going on. Right, and let me, that's why I start. I'm leading with a baseball story for a reason. Okay. The baseball playoffs are underway. I'm gonna try it to stay out of the baseball stuff. Because hmm. last week I made a lot of ignorant well, comments. No, 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 no. You got things screwed up. No, I shouldn't talk about baseball. No, you're fine. So here, here this is a different kind of story. All right, but it, it has to do with the Phillies, who are the local team that's in the baseball playoffs, and uh, it's called a baseball. Baseball broadcast. That's Divisio. Did I get that right? Did a Div- you're the one who took Spanish. Divisivo. Baseball. I've never seen baseball that word. Baseball, as in B E I. It's creating S-B-O-L. division. Yes. Yeah. The cough drop's not helping me. Divisivo. There's a radio announcer who calls the games in Spanish on a special broadcast on a special station. All the Phillies games are available in Spanish. And he goes by the nickname El Gringo Malo. Uh, his name is Bill Kulik. And uh, Bill Kulik is referred to as El Gringo Malo because he doesn't really exactly broadcast the games in Spanish. He broadcasts the games in a combination of Spanish, English, and Spanglish. For example, all right? He doesn't call the World Series, in his view, is the World Series. It's not called La Serie Mundial, as it would be known in Spanish. Uh, he recently described the player's up and down career as a roller coaster instead of una montaña rusa, the proper phrase in Spanish. And when saying something was quite funny, he said, being funny. So you get the idea. It's, you call that broken Spanish, you call it Spanglish, you call it whatever. It's not really Spanish. Why is that the case? Because he's born in the United States. He spent nine childhood years in Colombia and Argentina, so he did pick up Spanish. Where his dad was working. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But it's not like he, you know, has any kind of Latin background whatsoever. Right. He doesn't he, have. He a, picked up Spanish. Right. You know. So it's not. He's, he's never studied Spanish. He no, studied about a year. He, he's of not perfect in Spanish, but no. he says he he uses Spanglish deliberately. To better connect with the many Puerto Ricans, Puerto Ricans in the Philadelphia area, and with newer generations of Latinos in the United States who have grown up speaking both languages. So let's take him as his word. At his word, he he says it's not because I'm limited; it's because I'm trying to reach fans as they speak Spanish today. He's developed a product, right? An entertainment product. But he, but he, and he, he uses the Spanglish in that he didn't develop it. For Philadelphia, though. He started it up in Boston, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And actually, what's interesting is he, you know, he identified and put together the Spanish broadcast. He right. identified the market for it. Right. Put it together himself. I think he owns the rights to it or something mm-hmm. in the Philadelphia area. Right. All right. So, he, you know, a lot of it is being a savvy businessman. He didn't intend, according to this article... To, you know, do the broadcast. He ended up doing the broadcast. Right. But he you enjoys know. it. And he's been doing it for 19 years. And he, look, he, he justifies when he's criticized. And he is criticized. They quote someone here from the Dominican Republic 
who said that Kulik's Spanish has made him tune in less frequently. It's bad. If you're broadcasting a baseball game for a Hispanic community, we have to bring the message to the people very clearly about the plays and the game in Spanish because the channel's supposed to be in Spanish. You can see people would get irritated. He justifies it by says, look, the way the people in the Philadelphia area and perhaps the United States more broadly speak Spanish, the baseball fans, many of which are Puerto Ricans, actually speak the way I'm speaking. So that's his But he also says this is not a language lesson. Right. You know, this is not a, a uh, an essay or dissertation. Right. You know, this is just entertainment. It's communication. And this is what I do. Right, it's communication. So, I mean, look, I'll tell you one thing. He's not going to get fired because he owns the broadcast rights, as you say. <laughs> uh, but it is, uh, what's that word I tried to pronounce in the beginning? Uh, divisivo. Apparently, <laughs> uh, there are two sides to this issue. And it, it obviously relates to a broader question, how Spanish ought to be spoken in the United States by people who are native Spanish speakers. I'm sure... Many feel that it's a compromise that shouldn't be uh, really uh, encouraged but, but, to, to use English words. And others feel, no, 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 no. It's that, that's the evolution of the language. Yeah. Right? Well, that's like saying, you know, you're watching some comedy show and, uh, you know, you don't think the guy is speaking the king's English. Okay? I mean, that's silly. This is an entertainment. It, it Either you entertainment, enjoy it but, or you don't. But people do feel a certain way about their own native language and don't like to see it. Uh, bastardized. They, 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 they want uh, some people view it as disrespectful. I'm sure. No. Okay, but there's there's so many um, arenas when where a language is spoken. Yeah. I mean, it's nutty to just uh, say, okay, you should, uh, you know. All right. I see where you are on this. I'm not going to disagree. No, it's just it, you know. I, I think it's uh, it's a nice way of publicizing this broadcast. Well, I'll say that. I will come you know? back to the word diva. And uh, and I can see where. There would be some people would enjoy it and some people wouldn't, but I, I don't think it's it's a problem. Well, look, I don't like the Phillies, so I mean, I, I'm not going to enjoy it in that way. So but speaking of Spanish yeah. problems, mm-hmm. um, one uh, sort of long-standing problem: the finishing of uh, La Sagrada Familia mm-hmm. uh, Cathedral Basilica, whatever you want to call it, uh, in Barcelona, mm-hmm. uh, seems like it could actually happen. Okay, this is the famous uh, church in Barcelona designed by Anthony Gaudi, uh, and it's been under construction for, I don't know, 140 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, you can probably visualize it. Have you seen it? Do you know what it looks like? Yeah. And some people think What's it's the fantastic. Art Deco uh, type of it's, No, it's not. You wouldn't really call it Art Deco. What would you it looks, call it? Um, it to a lot of people, it looks like um, cartoonish El Greco. No, <laughs> the How kind of the, it looks like a sand castle. You know when you're yeah, making okay. uh, sand towers and you kind of just drip wet right. sand up and up and right. up it's and a, up. A, a it looks like that. It's very um, droopy, sort of droopy, yeah, right. organic, right. which yeah. was a look he was going for. Some people thought it was, that was an anathema, and uh, some people thought, you know, this is. Natural, amazing. It's an, it's a natural development mm-hmm. of uh, you know the styles of the late nineteenth century, uh, Art Nouveau, etc. Uh, in a way, it's in his interpretation. Um, and uh, you know, but anyway, there's been announcements that uh, five out of six of the towers yeah. are done. So there's supposed to be uh, uh, six. The six towers they're talking about are the of the four apostles: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Virgin Mary and uh, Jesus. The one, the tallest one, Jesus is not done. They, you know, hope to have it done by the, uh, I guess, centennial of 
Gowdy's death, which I think is in 2026. Um, but anyway, so that's, I mean, it's famously undone. So it's kind of funny that it might be getting done. Cathedrals do take forever mm-hmm. uh, to finish. It's, you know, it's it's a huge project and uh, usually involves stops and starts uh, largely because of uh, financial issues, design mm-hmm. issues and financial issues, uh, uh, etc. So anyway, that's uh, that's kind of fun and exciting and uh, interesting to look at that again and see what people are going to think about it. Is it a cathedral or is it a basilica? Well, it seems like it might be both. A cathedral is a church that's the seat of the bishop. A basilica has been declared by Rome to be a church of some kind of historical uh, significance. Um, in case you're wondering. Uh, listen, I, uh, you don't have to tell me that between a basilica and a cathedral. But uh, yeah, okay. Cathedral comes from yeah. Greek for seat. All right, good. I'm thinking more about what you had to say about the Spanish broadcast. The more I think about it, the English broadcast isn't really the best. Uh, in <laughs> best English isn't. No, it no isn't. it's not exactly representative. No, you know. You know, it's it's funny that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you have a point. People would be holding up uh, those guys. Well, as it's a different kind of. Uh, Standard bearers of uh, elocution. Speaking of standard bearers, here's the headline we've been looking for in the journal for years. So you love Costco? Question mark. Costco. And they have a picture of a Costco shirt. And this is in the off-duty section of the journal, which is famous for basically featuring what I like to call the $800 sweater. I mean, that's what... You see in the Wall Street Journal. So, yeah, it's, it's always funny to read the Wall Street Journal clothing recommendations right. because they're always, you know, um, this is what you should wear. And uh, the bargain price is $400, mm-hmm. but the really nice one is $1,200. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, you would never watch, wear that stuff. In so here is the, uh, the coming, come the Jesus moment in this article in the journal written by Jamie Waters. He says, look, uh, I've been getting letters without fail off-duty, that's the journal's section, menswear store, stories attract reader comments that scoff at the overpriced brands we featured and hail the discount membership retailer Costco for selling just as good designs at a smidgen, yes, that word is in the journal, a smidgen of the price. These remarks don't mince words. Quote, suggest your fashion editor visit Costco. So, well, so that's the funny thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, you are uh, famously poorly dressed <laughs> when you buy your own clothes. Oh, my and, goodness. And uh, for the last, I don't know how many uh, years, Sadie has taken you under her wing and yeah. will actually buy you things. And you look, you generally look good. And uh, if you do look good and anybody remarks on it, you'll say, well, Sadie bought it for me. Right. Okay. So recently you showed up in a few uh, like T-shirts and things that weren't that bad. Hmm. And, uh, and I new. said, where did you new. get that? Right. Where did you get that? And you said, Costco. And huh. A, you don't like to shop. You right. don't even like to grocery shop. Right. Uh, um, so the, it's the funny thing. We started going to Costco because when we were um, buying uh, items to renovate the house we sold. Right. Because, uh, you know, the person we were working with said, oh, they have a great buy on kitchen sinks or something. Right. So yeah. uh, we started going there. And uh, since then, you sneak over to Costco. You say you're buying a few bags of cashews. Right. 
or something. Yeah. And you apparently come back with clothing. And I don't tell you about it. It's crazy. <laughs> you don't. Uh, well, and, and actually, it's, it's been very good stuff. And it's not like you come back with like cheapo, nasty brands or anything. And very often you're buying, it's like Banana Republic or something. Well, sometimes Banana Republic, but they make the point here that Costco has a private label called Kirkland, which is actually very good quality. And for example, I'm wearing right now a pair of Kirkland jeans, which they say are $14. And these are $14 and they're fine. They're not super, but they're actually not well, they're, they're they're, they're pretty. They're they're very they're very good actually. Yeah. I mean, one of the problems with affordable clothing that's made to fit, that can fit and uh, I guess stylistically suit older people yeah. is it's awful. Yeah, it's saggy, baggy, uh, you know, and uh, stylless. Right. And the stuff you've been coming back with is not bad. Perfectly hip stuff. Right. So he they say this this fellow goes on to write. His observation is that with a couple of caveats, the clothes, sturdy and perfectly fine, if not quite handsome, pleasantly surprised me. So he gives it a positive review. And then he has an interview with some guy who has some comedy act in which he makes an observation about people who, as they get older, buying Costco clothes. And he says, you know, it indicates you've let go of ego, but apparently he doesn't mean it in a negative way. Uh, earlier in my life, this is uh, this fellow, Sheng Wang, comedian, buying pants or shoes would be tied to an idea of who you think you should be. But once you're comfortable yourself, perhaps by virtue of getting older, uh, you know, I'm just looking for clothes that do the job, not to tell anybody anything about myself, which is kind of where I've been for a long, long time. So, That's exactly where you've been. So yeah. it's nice that the clothes are kind of catching up with you in the sense that finally, you know, um, yeah, they're unfussy, they're, they're good wear, quality. But, but they quality. actually look good on you. Yeah, thank um, you. Thank you very much. Much so appreciated. It, no, it's funny because, I mean, years ago, you know, um, you'd be in Sam's Club or something and they'd have clothes for sale it would be the most awful stuff yeah is it you know it would be a shirt for five dollars and it was you know barely worth 250 uh, yeah. that kind of thing um so it's just weird to me it's bizarre to me uh that uh, costco comes up with the stuff and they say in that article a lot of it is because um even though it's a fraction of their business yeah they they sell so much that uh they keep the margins very low. Yeah. It keeps the price. Well, you know what? Very also, low. but they also mention things they sell the most of. And according to this article, uh, one of the things they sell the most of cashews. <laughs> they mention cashews. They mention cashews. I mean, so uh, it's like they wrote this article for you, Dan, for me or about me. But they literally say here, you're not going to believe this. The portion of the world's cashews sold by Costco. One half. Oh, that's crazy. That's what it says. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, you know, and it's not that I endorse putting all the small stores out mm. of business. Yeah. Um, I don't think Costco is putting small stores out of business. Well, but. Because generally you have to buy in bulk. And the, the, the they're store, very. The, stores, the small stores we go to don't have these things. Right. Though. That's the problem. Right. Okay. So, um, rock to hard place. Uh, so Elemental. Anyway. We're going to talk about Elemental, the movie, which is well, Pixar, really. Yeah, but, but Elemental is one of Pepper's favorites, isn't? Is it not? 
Am I wrong? I don't know if it's a favorite or not. Oh, it's a favorite. Frozen is the favorite. Well, I didn't say okay? the favorite. I said it's a But favorite. I think she did uh, recently, she actually saw Elemental in the theater yeah. with her dad, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, they had um, some kind of mini Oreos or something uh, to eat. Where she got quite covered in chocolate in the process. <laughs> um, it was one of the main memories. Yeah, well, um, well she's three and, years old. But so anyway, she's very sophisticated. Yeah. But anyway, it turns out that uh, Pepper was Pepper and uh, Zeke were like the only ones who went to see it. Right, and here's what's funny about that movie. And that's the movie that you know, Elemental being a reference to elements like air and water and things like that. The characters are these elements, and they're given personality traits, and it's very whimsical. It's not a musical, which differentiates it from Frozen. And uh, it's quite creative and imaginative, as Pixar movies tend to be, and sophisticated mm-hmm. animation. It's a form of animation. Right. Yeah. But it was not a success at the beginning. It had a very weak opening. And the way the movie business is, if you have a weak opening, they write you off. What happened in the subsequent weeks after Pixar was uh, criticized for putting out this movie, which was a failure and a loser, it built. For whatever reason, the revenue built, the box office built. It is now number nine in the entire year. It's ahead of the latest Ant-Man, the latest Marvel movie. And on top of that, it is a tremendous success on streaming, even more successful than The New Little Mermaid. So it's a complete reversal of fortune. Uh, the article talks around how that happened or why it happened, and the truth is they have no idea. Right. But uh, it's just interesting how you know the people don't, who know, even after it opens, don't necessarily know. But the thing that I didn't understand is yeah. the article says this may be, for Pixar's creativity, kind of a negative thing. You know, they didn't realize this huge... A lot of the success is in streaming, yeah, right. But but, but it had box and office too. It had, but if Pixar becomes uh, focused as a streaming, yeah, well, venture, here, here, it will diminish can, the budgets. You know, here, here and, okay. Here's what's complicated. You know, about and it. lower the quality. Here, here's what's complicated about it. Okay, um, obviously, Pixar is owned by Disney. It's uh, a lot of their stuff ends up on Disney Plus. A lot of product was going on. Uh, a lot of Disney Plus product was going online streaming at the time that this movie was released. And the theory is that that took away from the potential audience for Elemental in the theaters. There's a tension between what Disney Plus is putting on streaming and what it's putting out in the theaters. If streaming continues to be the be-all and end-all, and the things that they were streaming at Disney Plus were straight to video in a sense. They were never in theaters. If they com- If they continue to pursue a a straight-to-video or a streaming model, number one. And number two, if streaming does detract from your potential box office at the theater, which it clearly did at the beginning, if that's the, the way they're going to go, then you're not going to see huge box office hits like a Marvel movie in the theaters because they're, compl- they're going to be undercut on a regular basis by the Disney Plus streaming platform. And if that's the case, they can't justify a huge budget for the new movies. So that's what they mean by that. Which, which may, they're saying, diminish the quality. Yes, okay. Because of the, yeah. 
they won't be able to well, but afford it. It's, it's, it's just mass marketing. If they're going a mass market as opposed to... So that wouldn't be a great thing. No, but but it makes sense if you think about it. If they're saying we're mass marketing, we're streaming it as opposed to charging $12 a ticket, having, we're going to have less right, of a product. having this great success right. that it's going to ruin the quality of right. our product. Look, the true, to me, the bottom line was nobody knows anything because right. they didn't understand what was going on yeah, here and they, they still did. don't yeah. understand it. Oh, they go. thought it would be a hit, then it wasn't a hit, but it was a hit. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So I don't um, understand that either. Well, the other interesting thing is, now you know I listen to a lot of books. Yeah. Okay? I listen to different kinds of books than I read generally. All right? Okay. But I enjoy listening to books. And to me, it's like... Um, it's like a form of uh, performance theater yeah. in a way that reading isn't. And I love reading, you know, and that way your own brain acts everything out. Yeah. And there's something to that, mm-hmm. and I enjoy that. Um, but I also enjoy the interpretations, um, you know, of a great narrator. And mm-hmm. there are some great ones, okay? And, and I use Audible. Um, but now Spotify yeah. is going to provide audiobooks as part of their premium service. Right. And uh, you get 10 hours a month right. as part of the service. All right. So it costs like ten ninety nine a month for your subscription to Spotify. And with that, you get 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. For me, 10 hours is nothing. No, okay. It's not a whole book. No. Yeah. Generally, my books are, they can be 10 or 11 hours. But they're very often 14. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can get more hours. You just got to pay for it. You got to pay. Right. Uh, pay an extra, it's like 1099. Yeah. Extra or something for 10 more hours. Right. All right. So, I mean, and I, the books on uh, Audible are, you know, Audible gives you one credit per month. Mm-hmm. But uh, you generally are spending for. And there are a lot of free books, okay, but there you're generally spending about twelve bucks or so for an audio book. For an audio book, you can buy credits, mm-hmm. uh, which this is getting generally yeah. okay. pay for one book, um, and there are deals on that. But um, so it sounds like streaming is more economical, except for one thing. What do you mean by streaming? It's streamed by uh, Spotify. Doing Spotify, yeah. But except for one thing, not every book is going to go on the Spotify platform. That's the problem. Because so yeah, I don't think it's really more economical. Well, you're it, only it getting ten hours. It really for depends 10 bucks. on. It, yeah. well, it, it depends on. How, uh, we can get into the pricing plans, but the sense is that it's a better deal if you do Spotify. That's the only reason for them to come up with a plan. And I sense it probably is, but but. There is some reluctance for people to sign up for by people, meaning authors and publishers, because they feel it's basically going to devalue the audiobook product in the way in some ways Spotify has devalued the uh, music album, right? And, And that ultimately will lead to writers and publishers being compensated less, which is another reason to think that the audiobook plan saves you money. Yeah. So there's some reluctance to do it. So it'll be interesting to see what books go and what don't. My guess is that the most popular books uh, won't be put on this platform. They'll hold back on that. And that might limit the attractiveness of going on Spotify. It could could go the other way, too. All right. We'll see. But anyway, I was wrong. It's 15 hours of... uh, All right. Well, that's a lot. For $10.99. 
Oh, 15 hours free? As part of, as part of your well, um, and, and then, premium. And then 10, 10 or more hours for ten ninety nine. Okay. So if you were spending so you get, $11 a month, you'd be getting 25 hours a, a month, which is a fair bit. Is it? That's, that's almost guess, an hour well, a day. You're also getting your music or anything. Uh, yeah. No, anyway. I understand that. You get, you know. I, this is all getting pretty complicated. No, it's not. It's pretty simple. I mean, if you said... It's, it's, it's not simple. Let me make it simple for you, okay? If I said to you, how much are you spending generally on audiobooks? And you said, I'm basically spending... A zillion dollars. No, if you said I'm spending $20 a month, I'm making this up. I say, well, gee, for $11 a month, you could get, probably get even more audiobooks than you're getting now. It's, it's that simple. No, I couldn't. You're cool. No. Hmm. Yeah, we, we, you, don't you'd forget, be getting 25 don't be, hours. Yeah, right. Never, never. What? You're, you're not even considering all the ramifications. Let's just move on. All right. Okay. I'll work this out for you later. I, I would, anyway, I would find it hard to leave Audible because it's just, I've done so well. Okay, fine. No, no, just stay with it then. Stay with it. And besides, I'm mad at Spotify anyway. Fine. I Every Spotify. time I go to listen to something, you're already on our account. That's no reason to be mad at Spotify. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Okay. Okay. Um, food. Yeah. Are we on food? Yeah. Okay. So you pointed out that uh, this is no laughing matter, really. Um, but uh, there's this, you know, bird flu. Yeah. Uh, that um, is attacking various places, including France, mm-hmm. okay? A deadly variant of the avian flu insu- avian influenza has forced French farmers to cull more than 30 million birds mm. in the last three years, mm-hmm. okay? Contributing to a downturn in the production of foie gras. Mm. Now, foie gras is controversial uh, anyway. Some people see it as, uh, you know, animal cruelty, and other people see it as, you know, a hallmark of uh, great eating. Uh, But anyway, to try to stem this uh, problem, the French have decided to issue a vaccine program, start Mm. a vaccine program for 64 million ducks. Right. 64 million ducks. 64 million ducks. That's more ducks getting the vaccine than people got COVID vaccines. In the U.S. or the world? In, uh, in I think, France. Oh, in France. Okay. I believe that, yeah. Okay. Um, and they're going to... The first shot will be given to 10-day-old chicks. Yeah. Followed... By right. one eight days later. So it's two shots. 64 I mean, And I'm million. looking at this, I'm doing a double take, and I'm saying, how is it possible they think they're going to vaccinate 64 million ducks with two vaccine doses? And I'm saying, they must have some program. They're going to line these ducks up. They're going to be standing outside of a mall like we did to get the COVID vaccine. And the answer it's is no. It's mechanized or no, something. No, no, no. Boom, Here, boom, here's the boom, deal. boom. They're going, to, they're going to the various uh, duck farmers. And writing them uh, basically uh, ordinances would say that you have to vaccinate your ducks. And by saying you have to vaccinate your ducks, they're going to assume that if that person has 500 ducks, 1,000 ducks, they're going to vaccinate them. Which is, to me, crazy. Crazy. Because that is never going to happen. I can tell you from watching All Creatures Great and Small, (laughs) all right, that whenever there's a government program that says this is what we want you to do with your livestock, the farmers don't do it. Okay. They don't do it. Okay. So they're okay. not going to vaccinate the so, ducks. Right. 
the um, USDA. Yeah, this is the funniest part too. Not the USDA, the U.S. Uh, Agricultural Department. Yeah, um, agrees with you. Well, okay. Is it, is it, so that, yeah, well, well, basically because they say you know um, we we won't know if uh, these uh, ducks are vaccinated have been vaccinated. So we're not going to take the because product. even if if they have if um, they may not show signs. Uh. You, of the um, disease, right. you know. So just saying they're vaccinated, you know, doesn't help anyone. Uh, so we're not going to uh, let any live ducks, duck eggs, or untreated duck products yeah. into the country. Yeah. So the good news, or the, or the reason that that's not so important, is because the French say we weren't going to sell this to the U.S. anyway. Don't worry about it. The, most of this product, almost all this product, is consumed in France. So maybe that's fine. But uh, they're embarking on this huge program, or not. Uh, which but anyway, totally all these little duckies <coughs> to come in for their uh, vaccine. 64 million ducks for <laughs> two seem, jabs. Yeah. How do you even discuss this with a straight face? Okay, uh, other food news. Yes. Well. Um, it's kind of fun. In the New York Times, you know, in the New York Times magazine section, yes. they have a, an essay and uh, a recipe yeah. every week. And uh, this past week, it was on okonomiyaki, mm-hmm. which is a cabbage pancake, mm. Japanese cabbage pancake, Zeke's cabbage introduced pancake. to us yeah. by Zeke and Noel. Yeah. And actually, the first time we had it was shortly after Pepper was born. And we were at their little teeny apartment in uh, Venice. And for dinner one night, because obviously we weren't, it was during COVID, we had a brand new baby, we weren't going out places to eat, and mm-hmm. um, Zeke and Noel made okonomiyaki, mm-hmm. and it was, they were terrific. Yeah. I mean, right. there's nothing to them. It's, it's just it's like, pretty simple you know, stuff. Right? It's like, Especially if someone else makes it. It's, right. It's, it's kind of a large latke, but made right. with cabbage. Right. And uh, you cut it up into slices and you drizzle things on it like kewpie mayo or, you know, okonomiyaki sauce. And uh, it's very tasty. Of course, the New York Times recipe was impossibly elaborate. Um, The Yokohama version or something, which also includes doing a big noodle pancake, which you flap on top and there's pork belly in between. And, you know, so... um, I don't think we're going to try to do that, no. but it, it brought back great memories of uh, okonomiyaki um, with baby, with the new baby Pepper. All right. Then also, I you know I've been making this recipe from the New York Times for the past month or two, and coconut fish and tomato bake. Mm-hmm. All right, and it's coconut milk. Okay, it's not a real tropical dish, and it's just magical. You, you make a marinade that has coconut and ginger and garlic and uh, turmeric in it. And the, the fish is in there for, you know, a few minutes. And then you put it on a sheet pan with cherry tomatoes. You put it in the oven. And 20 or 30 minutes later, you have this magical stuff. And mm. you can use it with a zillion different kinds of fish. I would use it with... Um, uh, a thinner fillet that, rather than thicker, like arctic char as opposed to salmon, because uh, you don't want to overcook the sauce, as it turns out, you know. Uh, but anyway, um, so I've been making this like crazy. I was watching the morning news one day, and uh, they actually had a demonstration of how to make this. And uh, so who knows? Maybe it's a thing. It should be a thing. Coconut 
fish tomato bake from the New York Times. Tasty. All right. Tasty. I'm not going to argue with you. So here's another food story. All right. As one does, I was looking at the Times uh, book review section. They always have an interview, and they ask the interviewee, uh, if you're organizing a literary dinner party, who would you invite? Three people, dead or alive, they make the point. And this is for Patrick Stewart, who never thought much about. And he, he, would say, he said he would invite William Shakespeare, Charles Dickens, and Ian McEwan. And I said to myself, okay, I'm not a huge Shakespeare guy, but I do read Dickens and I do read Ian McEwan. So there's yeah. something that we have in common, I suppose. And then the question is, describe your ideal reading experience. And he says, immediately on waking up, I read in bed for a half hour with a cup of Yorkshire gold. <laughs> Favorite was it, our favorite. Was this the tea I drink? And yeah. I'm saying to myself, yeah. that's crazy. And then I open up the and this I never open up. The Wall Street Journal has, magazine. has a magazine, which really is, I'd say fashion, but that puts a shine on it. I don't know what the hell it's about. And they do it about once every two months. Mick Jagger's on the cover. It turns out he's still alive. And in a way. Yeah. And they have a uh, an interview with Sofia Coppola. Uh, and they say to her. What time do you get up on Mondays? I mean, this is the quality of the magazine. What time do you get up on Mondays? And what's the first thing you do after waking up? And she says, I wake up at 7 on Monday, and I go downstairs, let my dog out, and make Yorkshire gold tea. I think you say Yorkshire. Yorkshire, not the point. York, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Yorkshire gold. My point is Yorkshire gold is like uh, you know a rave now. It's like people going crazy. And then on the bottom... They have pictures of must-haves for Sofia Coppola, like her weekly planner and her and uh, her restaurant and her grandma mug, and they have a picture of Yorkshire gold tea. Yeah, the box. This is a thing now, right? I mean, I, I, mean, I can I learned about this when I was working in London at a London office, and one of the lawyers there, when I was grabbing some of the free tea that they have out, as they do in the London office, he said, "No, no, you got to drink Yorkshire gold." That's what you drink. Well, he was asking what you drank at home. Yeah, I told him. I even said, uh, maybe I even said Yorkshire tea is certainly a little. He said, no. The kind of tea that we've said to the U.S. is terrible. Yorkshire gold. Not Yorkshire regular. Yorkshire gold. (laughs) And they started uh, ultimately carrying it in the U.S. And it is the best tea. I do think, uh, at least uh, one of the local grocery stores, they must read these articles. (laughs) because, Because, you know. Because we do see some of the, sometimes there's a recipe in the New York Times that calls for X, and then it turns up at our little grocery store yeah. um, out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so. All right. So there we All go. Right, speaking One of, more food article. Yes. Oh, you have another food no, article? No, you do. Um, yeah. This one, uh, in, you noticed. Yeah. I, I don't know why it excites you, but I will, you know. Trudge through? I'll trudge through. Um, the chicken that might put a ring on it. Yes. Okay. So this is a recipe for a chicken dish where in 2016, somebody who originated made it for the first time and uh, their video producer took one bite and said, I'd marry you for that chicken. Okay. And it's, you know, it's, it's, so it's in the New York times as marry me chicken. And it's a very simple, um, thin, breast cutlets with a cream sauce mm. on it. And, it, and it's simple to make, and I guess it's 
pretty tasty. Now they say not to be confused with, I mean, there are always recipes right, that right. people have that, you know, are, you know, no brainers, you right. know, well, uh, a while ago there was boy bait blueberry cake. Oh really? You know, mm. famous for you make this uh, blueberry cake, boys can't resist it. Mm. Uh, I think boys in the just general sense, not just little boys, but big boys too. Right. And uh, they said, for the Merry Me Chicken, they also quoted uh, a recipe from as long as 2004, long ago as 2004. Yeah, that's a long time ago. That was called Engagement Chicken mm-hmm. uh, and was uh, in Glamour Magazine. Okay. And that actually turns out to be an extremely simple recipe, right. but it was very popular. And even Ina Garten had a version of it. And it's as simple as you can get. It's a roast chicken. You put lemons in the cavity. You put salt and pepper and olive oil on the outside. You roast the chicken for an hour and 15 minutes. Boom. And they say engagements come like crazy after you make that. Uh, and? Do they? I don't know. I mean, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, there are various stories of, you know, people in the department getting engaged shortly after making this. But um, so how crazy is that, that the world's simplest recipe, mm-hmm. roast chicken, always comes down to the simple, the simple things, yeah, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, you know, and I don't think that guys are thinking. Well, you know, I'm lo- what I'm looking for is a woman who can roast a chicken. Well, it turns out they don't know what they're but looking turn, for. But turns out that will that is what they're looking for. So, speaking of what people are looking for, we'll close with this. Article says article about the Harvey Awards. So, so you're saying to yourself, what are the Harvey Awards? The Harvey Awards celebrate comic books. They're adding six members to their Hall of Fame. On October 13th, they list the six new inductees, right? And the last two are Walt Simonson, who is known for his work on Marvel's Thor, and Louise Simonson, who worked on the famous Death of Superman series in the 1990s. So you're saying to yourself, well, they related Walt and Louise Simonson, and indeed, a married couple. And just a note here, they say the Simonsons, who are married, will celebrate the 50th anniversary of their first date next year. They collaborated on several issues of X-Factor, a comic book series about the original five X-Men. Right? Their relationship, they recalled, ignited from a phone call. He loved her voice, and she told him, you draw great hands. <laughs> <laughs> now I bring this up. Because uh, we're kind of in the same chronological boat, if you think about it. Uh, they're celebrating the 50th anniversary of their first date. We're kind of uh, celebrating close the 50th today. anniversary of our first date. It's pretty darn close. I don't even remember dating. Well, that's, you're, you're making a fine point, which is a fair point, but <laughs> I just, becoming an item. The, uh, yeah. I mean, but it's not, not your different. fault. In the seventies, I mean, people didn't really go we were out in college. On dates. We were, my, my, and 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 and, and, yeah. to, and to take something that's even less ambiguous, okay, we also right, have right. what else? What well, we, we have not done any comic books. We haven't done any comic books. Can I finish, together? please? Our no. wedding anniversary anniversary is coming up. 
Oh, okay. This Monday. And we right. like to commemorate these dates here. Right. So Well we can also was... commemorate Yeah. What? Um Mark and Javier. Yeah, okay. I've got engaged. I don't know if one of them has been making chicken recently <laughs> or something like that. But yeah. congratulations yes. to Mark and Javier. Let me go back to what I was talking well, about. Okay, right. So, all right. Our anniversary. Yes. The 16th. Right. And perhaps our 50th anniversary of the first date, like the Simonsons. Happy anniversary, dear. Oh, thank you. Do you think this gets you out of a gift? <laughs> is that what this is? I'm mean, I, I think so overwhelmed. This is the gift. Well, this is the <laughs> gift. Get me out of a gift. Why would I want to get out of a gift? All right, so until next week when we will have experienced another anniversary, this is uh, Dan Abbey. We may be so busy um, celebrating that anniversary. Well, let's not go into detail. Who knows if there'll be another podcast, but there might be. We won't have the strength left. This is Tamsin Granger. Maybe. (laughs) With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. We'll see you maybe next week.